Joining us on Dylan Friends, one of my favorite players of all time and just all-round good person, Jared Ruffhead. Ruffy is a 283-game, 578-goal-kicking, four-time premiership player at the Hawthorne Footy Club. Also won a Coleman, two-time All-Australian, and a Hawthorne captain. Not bad. Recapping his story through this chat just made me realize how much this man has achieved in his time in the game. Careers don't come around like this too often. Being able to win flags and play some incredible football for one club over a long period of time. Not only has Ruffy done some incredible things on the field, but his resilience and positive outlook on life in his cancer scares throughout his time is nothing short of remarkable. Retired, now working in the football admin side of the fence in list management at the Saints, it was unbelievable to sit down and unpack some of his career. Honestly, could have chatted to this great man all day. Early days at the Hawks, getting picked up with Buddy and Jordan Lewis. Winning flags in 08, 13, 14 and 15. Hawthorne culture and why it's so strong, including a chat about Clarko and Sam Mitchell. The importance of being a one-club player. The adversity he faced throughout his career and so much more. Cannot thank the Rough Man for coming in and sharing his time. He was an absolute star. Make sure you go and check out his autobiography, Ruffy. There's so much more in there and it makes an unbelievable read. Let's go. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears. 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 Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to the Olympics? <laughs> They're sitting there meditating, going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. How this is for meditating? Like- I had a Wu-Tang call. I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it's it. knuckle puck time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Jared Ruffhead, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My friends, as big as this huge, it's been a long time in the making. <laughs> no, thank you very much, Dylan. It has. I mean, with footy and COVID and everything going on and kids, it's... Uh, but we're here. We are. And that's all that matters. You yeah. are a very busy man, though. You're no, everywhere. Not, I'm not busy. I'm trying to balance life. Yeah. Now with um, two kids, Will is one in a couple of weeks, Pippa's three and a half, and then going from footy to full-time work, which you know... You don't have as much spare time as what yes, you once had. Yes, and and I do like to say here a lot, uh, we don't work for the man, we are business. Correct, means. correct. So Jay-Z. We, yeah, I like that. It suits you well. Um, <laughs> and how have you been, mate? Obviously busy, uh, as you said, juggling work with the Saints, family, life. Like what's what's happening at the moment? What does your, what does your week look like? Uh, so I'm good at the moment. We're, uh, what are we at? Around 17, 18 of the AFL okay, season. Yeah. Uh, I'm full-time at Saints. So if I was to give you a business card, it says football operations assistant. Um, which is a jack of all tight. trades, really. Uh, help out leadership group, learning the, the business of a, of a footy admin, uh, list management, working with the forwards and, and working with Big Max King at the moment. So I've got that with footy uh, and then, yeah, family life at home. And on the weekend, sometimes when we've got a bit of free time, I'll try and have a kick back home as well with my little brother. Has it shocked you that transition into coach, not coaching, into football admin? Um, how much work actually goes in behind the scenes? I think like... A lot of players that leave the game, and, and we think we're busy when we play football. I think every footballer thinks they're busy. Then when you leave, you go, fuck, what did I literally yeah. do with my life? Like, yeah. There was so much time that I didn't do anything. And players think that coaches have got all this spare time as well, but as soon as they go, <laughs> there's coding. meeting after meeting. There's, you know, coding. Yeah. Yeah, I'm lucky I don't have to do that, which is good. That sucks. But you watch some of these guys straight after the game on the plane, like they'll spend an hour doing a quarter, basically. Um, so you can understand how coaches get burnt out as well. Uh, you heard that you heard that Bevo said a couple of years ago, or a couple of weeks ago, sorry, that um, AFL jobs probably aren't as glossy as what they once were, yeah. uh, just because of footy cap and, and people getting tipped out. So um, these guys feel like they have to really make their mark in what they do to be able to be successful. And you're so right. I think like leaving the game now, you can you can really see how not just like playing, but coaching especially. And we've seen what's happened late. You just said with with players and, and Nathan Buckley and, and all these things that have transpired, but. It is such a full-on industry. Yeah. Like, full-on. Have you been able to, like, keep perspective that you probably thought you'd have when you left? Because I still I still think about times when, you know, like now, extremely busy life, just doing things, you know, working, family, friends. But when you're playing footy and when you're in those four walls, sometimes you just think that is the most, like... Yeah. Like, you're just, like... You're worrying about corralling someone to the boundary or how can we do this better? <laughs> and you're, like, in the, in the scheme of things, that is the most irrelevant thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, for me, I guess going to another club after finishing footy and the year that we all had last year was, you know, it's almost a throwaway year mm. for your work life because the boys went to Noosa, um, I stayed back, we were we had Will and then we left September the 1st when he was five weeks old and we were gone for eight weeks. So I kind of look at that year and think, right, you, you didn't really sink your teeth into it as much. Whereas this year, because of left numbers and whatnot, you do feel like you're working more, but at the same time... Um, yeah, you understand, and maybe because you've been part of a 
a successful football club and coming to St Kilda who have been stars of success, it's just like, right, these guys want it that bad that mm. they think that they have to do it right now. Mm. And it's not going to happen in three or four months. It's not going to happen in 12 months. It might take three or four years. But as long as we're on the right path and, and building something that they can sustain for a long period versus a flash in the pan type thing, um, that's what I suppose where I'm looking towards rather than just thinking week in, week out, wins, losses, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. It's a very good point. And it's something that I think playing at Hawthorne, having that success, having uh, sustained success is something that a lot of people and players and coaches don't really have. But mm. obviously Hawthorne have had that. Let's get into that later though with the Saints. But um, I think that it's, you know, the, the insight that you'd be giving there would be incredible and I want to touch into it later. But with this show, I know you're a big fan. I yes. like to start at the start. Yes. It's a good place to start. And the start for you was the Langatha Parrots. Yes. Um, we love them, Danny. We're big fans of Langatha <laughs> Parrots. They're a beautiful team. Um, take us back, mate. It's uh, a beautiful part of town. Yep. Uh, in Gippsland. Gippsland, yeah. So, uh, small country town, about two hours uh, as the crow flies from here. Yep. Uh, not many, five, 6,000 people in the town. Um, mainly a big dairy um, area. Murray Goldwyn's one of the main businesses that keeps the town running and sport was all we knew growing up you know there wasn't phones there wasn't laptops there was nothing like that um you know you, you don't see it often in the city anymore and probably the country where you, you have to stop the car to let kids take their wheelie bins off the off the middle of the road or um watch them stop kicking the footy um we did everything footy cricket basketball tennis mixed netball basically everything you could um in the town uh which was great for me because country life's the best it is. It's. Uh, I. I was born in Ballarat. Lived there till I was two. So I still like to sort of have Claim. that country feel. Yep. I feel like the country guys are so much. Did tougher. your first car have a blinker on the left or the right? The blinker. Yeah. Well, this is what a lot of metro kids. What do don't you mean understand. blinker? Oh, they like the the European the indicator. Car. Oh yeah. no, Holden yeah. Commodore. Yeah, yeah. Holden yeah. Commodore. Yeah, it was Australian. A lot of these boys have Volkswagens now, so no, they think no. you know this is the thing that you no. understand with country and city that they that they think the blinkers on the yeah. left is normal. Yeah, no, that's not normal. I still when I drive my missus' car, put the the power um, <laughs> the windscreen wipers on. on every time. <laughs> um, so definitely country at heart. Now, fast forwarding a little bit. Um, as you said, you played all your footy there, big basketballer. Yeah. It doesn't get alluded to enough credit, though, of your basketball career. There's nothing to Isn't it. Isn't it? Nah. Is it? No, there is. But, like, you know how Troy, we had Max going on a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. And we said there was two things that get said if you watch footy. Is Max Gorn used to like smoking darts? <laughs> and Scott Penbridge basketball. plays basketball. Yeah, yeah. Jared Rufford never gets played into Jared basketball. Jared Rufford, don't need to worry about that. Why is that? Because I came off the bench. So I was a bench player in the Nationals. Impact player. Impact well, player. some would say. Oh, yeah. I made the numbers up. So, yeah, a couple of representative state sides growing up. And then uh, at the end of 2002, which was the Nationals in 16 for basketball, where um, you have to do all the funding yourself. You have to try and raise mm. as much money to get to the Nationals. 2003, I was lucky enough to make the footy Nationals and the AFL cover everything. So yeah. you can understand why basketball lose a lot of players and AFL keep a lot because the funding you know we caught we had to drive a bus from literally Albert Park all the way to Adelaide for the Nationals in 16 whereas Vic Country Footy you jump on the plane get there and everything's taken care of so yeah look it was you know you as I said you, you play a lot of sports as a kid and it came to about 16 years old where you said right oh footy or, footy or basketball mm. and driving to Melbourne three times a week was too much as a kid um, so footy overtook everything really yeah it's, it's hard to beat footy i think just in terms of that powerfulness and the pathway it's probably second to none in australia but good news recently as well with della dover looking to sign with yeah. melbourne united so that do some big things yeah you'll go i will buy a membership yep. <laughs> yeah you yeah, will i will i will if he's because i think it's a sign but if he gets picked up he's gonna yeah, get it back so i think it's a three-year deal with an nba out so if he gets yeah. a chance to go back to the nba he'll take that chance cool that's probably fair enough to yeah, be honest well, I think that'd be fair yeah um, draft day draft massive day. draft um, looking at it like you obviously picked two yep. in, in the draft w was it always looking that way like you look at that draft now it's pretty incredible how powerful it was some of the players got picked up around you and yep. you know some of them is there anyone still playing Bull Buddy obviously Bud and Eddie 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 was a, a pre-season pick Huge. one I reckon Huge. Um, so yeah we had our school graduation the night before the draft which yep. was back home um Greg Miller, who was GM of Richmond, rang and said, we're going to take it, pick four tomorrow. So I was, you know, pumped, telling all my schoolmates, told family. Um, grandparents got the black and yellow streamers. No worries. Travel down the next morning. The draft was 
10 o'clock, I reckon, at the Mel- old Melbourne Park. Walk in, pick one, Delidio, yep, going to plan. And then, yeah, Hawthorne read out my name, pick two. And it was just like, well, that wasn't meant to happen. And then three picks later, Bud goes and he's sitting behind me. And then two picks after Bud, Geordie. So we, I knew Geordie a lot and we knew each other, but not as a um, close unit. So um, all of a sudden it was like, right, the three of us are moving from interstate, moving from country. We'll live together. We'll do all this. And we grew up together. It's, I didn't know about the Richmond. Yeah. Pack, so that was nearly yep. done. Like well, that. they said we'd pick four. So yeah. I was like, yep, no worries. I knew, had known um, Delio from Vic Country yep. and said, right, oh, we'll, we'll hopefully live together with a host family or something like that. Um, and that changed within, you know, 12 hours. Far out. It's crazy the sliding doors factor yeah. footy sometimes yep. and all those things happening. Um, you look at that. So yourself, Buddy Franklin, Jordan Lewis in one draft. Was anyone else picked up in that draft or was that just the uh, three? There was a couple others late. Tommy Murphy who went, who played 100 games. Yes. He went to yes. Gold Coast. Um, Great leadership. Simon uh, Taylor. Uh, uh, Matty Little, who's now the runner at, and development manager at Essendon. So we they were a pretty good draft for Hawthorne. Yeah. Um, but as you said, sliding doors, yeah, like we could have been anywhere. You know, leading into the draft, we heard, you know, I, was, I think Bud was thinking Hawthorne and I think George was thinking Port Adelaide. From what we'd been told, Hawthorne kept their cards pretty close to their chest. So yeah. they played everyone really well. Do you think, like, looking back now like, and, and looking at that, at that age, did you fathom, was it obvious... Hawthorne picking up you three being like this is going to be the face of our next yeah, no. team or was it just like you just went there and it just wasn't even a thing you thought about yeah well obviously not because like Bud and I are 17 so we're, that was I think the last year that you could draft 17 year olds early so I leave Lee and Gaffer which at the time had one set of traffic lights you move to Melbourne you move to Hawthorne and you're training at Glenferry Oval which is just you know you're trying to get lifts there. You're trying to work out how traffic all this kind of stuff <laughs> trams, trains like I you literally had no idea and you throw in the fact that we're all going to Kokoda too. Uh, Bud and I had to get kids' passports because we didn't have any. We had to get immunisations. And then within two weeks of being at Hawthorne Footy Club, we are over walking the Kokoda Trail in Papua New Guinea. So whirlwind story, but great for us because you feel like you're bonded with the blokes. Uh, for, you'd felt like you'd known them for six months by mm. the time you got back versus you know some guys who had to travel into state, probably do three or four sessions, and then it's Christmas time. Mm. You know, So for us, it was great. And... The, the way because we had all three of us you felt comfortable when you could you probably we're probably smart asses and a little bit arrogant or thought we were better than what we were which um you know hawthorne they were pretty quick to knock us into shape which was good for us too but also good for them because they thought right if we've got three confident kids and if they can play footy you know anything could happen what you spoke about that kokoda trip then what, what does that actually entail at Hawthorne? Because I know that was a, a staple for a while. I I'm not sure if it's COVID sort of delayed it a little bit. But yep. what, what do they do with it? Because Clarko takes a first-year players on these trips? Yeah, basically every three years, people who hadn't gone go on the trip. So uh, there's some you learn a lot about uh, the values of the Hawthorne Footy Club. You go there and there's a, a spot on the track called Isharava, which has got four pillars, courage, mateship, sacrifice and endurance. And if you walk into the Hawthorne Footy Club, those pillars are... Dinah bolted into mm. the concrete there um, and a lot of what the culture was built on was basically from Kokoda. So every three years, the people that hadn't gone, Clarko takes them and it's a bit mental as well because they'll chop down a tree and you have to carry the, the big trunk. There's sandbags. So they try and make you feel like what it was like for the soldiers back in the day too. You're carrying stretchers with 90 kilos on it um, because at that time when the war was on, some of these kids are the exact, exact same age you are. So puts life into perspective too and makes you understand it, how good it was or how good we've got it because of what so many people sacrificed for us. Incredible. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And I think it, it just sets such a good precedent for all those young guys coming in. Um, I, I know when Bolts was at Carlton, he sort of yep. brought something across similar where he'd take a few of the boys over to Tasmania. Yeah. It wasn't quite Kokoda, but Tasmania. Um, and they do a bit of a camp there and do a few things in, in, in the cold and, and do a bit of hiking and whatnot. But yeah, I was always pretty envious of that because I thought, fuck, it'd be good to get away and, yeah. and, and bond together. Um, something that's crazy that we, like looking back now, is is incredible really. Like yourself and Buddy playing, I think when you're 21 years of age, you, you're in 2007. Yeah. Was that, I think it was 21 years of age. And from the stats here I've written down, Buddy kicked 113 that year. This you is in 08. This is 08. This is 08. So Buddy kicked 113, you yep. kicked 75, you're 21 years of age and you've got Cyril as well <laughs> in that team. Looking back now, not only is that like a big feat, but like it just hasn't 
it probably might not even really ever be done again. It, it's incredible yeah. to think like at that age, Hawthorne was relying on such young kids to to be dominating. Yeah, well, we're lucky in a sense because um, we drafted Cyril at the right time. Bud and I, we'd, we'd been through ups and downs. You know, I'd played twos. Um, Bud had been dropped and been injured a couple of times. And you look at those goals, I think Bud kicked 80 points and I kicked 50 points that year too. So we've had over 350 <laughs> shots a goal yeah. as two 21-year-olds in, you know, um, a premiership year, which is just off its head. Now... Did we think it was going to happen every year after that? Yeah, we did because we carried on like pork chops after we won in 08. But I don't think... I think you look back now that you're done, but mm. you think, right, that was an unreal team. And, you know, you probably... I think today that I would have played with seven AFL Hall of Famers, including a coach with Clarko. You know, throw Burgoyne, Hodge Mitchell, um, Rioli Franklin, Crawford, Clarko. Like to get, I think, those that many Hall of Famers out of one team... And then you throw again the rivalry against Geelong. Mm. Geelong are probably going to have the same amount. So at times, you look back at that rivalry with Geelong, there's probably 14, 15 AFL Hall of Famers that are going to be on the field at once. Now, I'm not sure if you'll get that again in any time no. soon, but you, you know, the rivalry, everyone t- pumps up the rivalry. You look at back at it now, it's just like how lucky were you to play in those games. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I think for me, like when I was really getting into footy with 2008, so like I went to the... I think 2006 and 7 Sydney West Coast West yep. Coast Sydney. After that, I remember that was the big one was was Geelong Hawthorne. Yeah, and obviously you guys weren't favourites for that nah. game. And Geelong had dominated the whole season. Um, you'd come in and, and had the the upset of, of the week. You, you sort of alluded before, like did you get ahead of yourself after? But going to the actual game, what was going into that? Like what, what was the feelings going into it? Was it like internally you knew you could win it? Because I just remember that time it was very one sided with Geelong. Yeah. Yeah, we'd played them around 17 uh, that year and Hodgie uh, had his first born. So Cooper was born that week and he, he tried to do a few things that probably not cost us a game, but uh, turnovers led to a couple of goals. And we lost to Geelong by, I think, two or three goals on a Friday night at the G. Clarko walks in Monday and says, we can win the flag. And I was just like, mate, we've just lost to Geelong who yeah. haven't lost a game all year. How do you actually think that? And he, he said, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to tinker a few things. We're going to play with, add a few elements to the zone that he'd implemented that year. And made us believe then. And because we were so young and we were soaking everything up, as soon as he said that, it's like, well, if he believes that, why not? Now, Stewie Jew had also come across from Port who had been successful. None of us had really had any finals experience. He gets promoted to leadership group and says, yep, this, we can do something here. And Clarko always said you had to be the best team in September. Now, we beat Dogs on the Friday night in the qualifying quite convincingly, beat St Kilda in the prelim, and it was like we'd done our, what was required. Going into that grand final... And then everything just seemed to go right for us in that grand final. They they changed the rushing of the points after that game because we had blokes who were kicking it from 30 metres out through their points yeah. just to get a rush behind. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, you look back now and it was just like, yeah, every team's beatable. We were just got it. We got Geelong on the right day. It's um, Yeah, it's unbelievable to think about. And, and as you alluded before, like how that sparked such a fierce rivalry yeah. since that. Like that game, was it... Was it Jeff Kennett or was it Geelong after that that said basically we'll never lose to Hawthorne again? Or they no, it was Jeff saying that we've mentally got we've mentally Geelong. got Geelong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, I think we'd we'd beaten Geelong a couple of times leading up to the 08 granny, and then post that Geelong just seemed to get on this run. Now we'd get in front by four or five goals. Last quarter they'd come back, win by point. Hawk had kicked that goal off the yeah. siren. Jimmy Bartell kicked a point off the siren, and Jeff just added fuel to the fire. So. I mean, it took, what, 11, 12, 13 yeah. games for us to beat them in a prelim of all of all places. Um, but, I mean, they're the ones you want to be a part of. You don't, you know, everyone says you, you lost Geelong 13 times, but it's like, yeah, but they're the games where you want to be playing in front of 80, 90,000 at the G each week, you know. You don't want to be playing at Tassie on a cold Sunday or no, something like that, you know. That's what I was doing. Um, <laughs> it does, it does, it is funny though with that. So you're saying 15 games that you lost 13. Yeah. But the two you won, one was a grand final, one yeah. was a prelim. Yeah. So like, I'd probably take that. Yeah. Well, not with the reviews and whatnot, mate. You've yeah. been through enough of those that it's like when you've got Clark after about the eighth, ninth time and it's like, righto, boys, we've got to do something. And then we keep going a few more. It wasn't nice. Um, on Clarko there, I, I had a podcast with Xavier Ellis a while ago and he told us a story about Clarko um, nearly knocking himself out <laughs> after a win once. <laughs> Basically, I think he was upset with the team, it's yep. fair to say. And Clark is a friend of the show, so he won't mind this because he's 
it's an alumni is a conglomerate yep. in there um, but yeah I think he nearly might have misplaced his jaw he's done a few things you've yeah. seen the I mean you see the bit where he punches a hole in the G window Zave who doesn't move if you go back and watch that vision Zave just he just deadpans straight looks straight ahead doesn't want to make any eye kind of the Kaiko he's actually tried to you know when the drink bottles are in the six pack there yep. right in front of the um, coach when they're half time address or pre-game he goes to boot the absolute crap out of them one day all full so he's almost breaks his toe in his like suit shoes the amount of dints in the Eddie Had and G whiteboards are mainly probably because of him as well what a star well, he obviously knows what he's doing after 08 obviously you win that but yep. as we sort of spoke about before whether it's uh, you know young uh, young players not you know quite recognising where you are things sort of fizzle out a little bit I'm yep. not sure what, how you would sort of explain it what what took place I suppose in that like 09, 10 and 11 yeah so 09 we had a lot of surgeries off the back of 08 and probably thought it was just going to happen again we didn't evolve as a footy club uh, I think that's when coaches were able to get behind the goals vision and marry it up with yep. live so you know teams could work out what so we were doing so they were only doing that then end of 08 yeah really yeah that's when, that it started when it to come started in. yeah yeah, where clubs, if you look back at some of the coaches and us, they'd, they'd have coaches that would sit up with a handheld or they'd set it up in a um, in the coach's box. We used to do it in a reflex paper box where you'd set up with a hole in it and then one of these small cameras would be like looking at what your forward line was doing or what the defence was doing. So that was the ways that coaches got away with it back then. Wow. Um, we came back with an extra person in body fat, so skin folds were high in 2009. You came back with a... Extra person in body fat. So all of us collective basically came back with someone... You know, Someone we're all else. carrying extra. Wow. So okay. Jack wasn't happy. You, I think you've had Jack on. Jack Russell. Jack's yeah, on, he, being yep. on too. He would have told that story. Uh, so, it, you know, 09, we don't make finals. 10, we lose an elimination final after starting one and six. Um, Clarko nearly gets sacked. Um, and then 11, we lose a prelim to Collingwood. 12, we lose the granny um, to Sydney. And, you know, everyone thinks that it was all roses, 13, 14, 15. But we had a fair bit of adversity to get through. Um, 10, 11, 12 And it probably goes without saying like, How much did those Three, four years of, of adversity Help you then Trans Into the Three years of success Yeah, well, we were very lucky That we got We traded well uh, Those years So we got Burgoyne in We got Gibson in um, Late comes at the end of 12 McAvoy at the end of 13 So um, And Frawley End of 14 So over a four or five year period We We were lucky enough to, to trade well and use free agency. Bud mm. left, Zave left. Um, so there wasn't as if we didn't have good players get, um, just coming in. So we had some quality players going out as well. But yeah, there was um, times where you know the leadership group got up and said, we need to change and we're going to be the first ones to change. And there was a moment up in um, Mooloolaba where Luke Loudon got up and said, yeah, we've heard it all before. You know what's actually going to change, which was pretty ballsy for a young bloke to who hadn't played at the time to say, "Yeah, mate, we've heard it all before. What are you going to do about it?" And from then on, it was like, right, if you know the old "do as I say, not as I do" type thing was probably the way that we went about it. And so post that, um, we all held each other to account by challenging the leadership group first, and then filtered down to the young boys, and they just followed. Unbelievable! Yeah, that's huge by uh, Luke Loudon saying yeah, that. Like yeah. Just- Step up! Fuck, I wouldn't have said anything when that's probably the problem. Well, that's what a lot yeah, of boys, you know, right. that for someone to say that who had been there four or five years, and as I said, hadn't played a game, so he's probably thinking if I say something, they're going to say, "Shut up, mate!" You yeah, played a game, you know, that mm. old hierarchy system. But for him to do it, that was probably one of the forks in the road that made us become who we were. The, forgive me if I'm wrong. There might be some bits about this that aren't correct, but is it right in saying through that period as well that? Obviously, we alluded to how many stars are in that team. Yourself, Lewis, Franklin, Cyril, all these players who are dominant. Yep. That, that the Hawthorne hot, like higher-ups with Clarko and maybe someone else on the board actually took you guys away and had a chat about what was going to happen in the next five years in terms of contracts and offers and saying, look, yep. you, you're definitely worth more than what you are at other clubs, but if you trust us and stick fat, we could be on the verge of something special. Yep. That that, that happened quite earlier. That happened end of 07, 08. That- it was before 08. Uh, might have been at the end of 08 yeah. or yeah but Around they, they took us to uh, Sorrento for a night maybe a mini camp or whatnot, and they had yeah the, basically the core group of blokes between 20 and 23 24 years old and said right if you guys want to stick together you're going to one have to take less because um, as you said contracts are going to come mm. you're going to get all these offers but Clarko's big thing was if you stick together and win flags you'll get looked after post footy 
which you know I sit here and I'm living that because because you've got four premierships next to your name you get job opportunities and get offers whereas if you come out of the game with 250 games and no premierships who are they going to pick as a footy club you know to 100% so that was the one thing that stuck in our mind and, and all of us got you know opportunities or offers to go elsewhere but it was like well why would we when we can keep winning and then eventually <laughs> funnily enough all of them had gone to somewhere else anyway but um, we stuck together and won flags and that's why you see a lot of these blokes having jobs Geordie's in the media Mitch is going to be a senior coach Hodgie's up in Brisbane on Channel 7 Zave's doing his thing so there's a lot of um, Hawthorne flavour pretty much everywhere yeah it is it is pretty fascinating I think if you look at history as well um, which is it's a harsh thing but it's also a fair thing in, in a way but to sort of have immortality in footy you need premierships yeah um, and there's a lot of good players that unfortunately, you know, and they're still doing incredible things, but yeah. you can win Brownlows and whatnot, but unless you win flags, yep. it, it doesn't sort of cross over as much as you'd hope. Well, because you're always brought back to the footy club because you've got reunions. Like mm. We've got a reunion every five years for the rest of our life, no matter what. Whereas, yeah. So that's that's a reason you'd to get come sick back. sick of your reunions at this time. <laughs> We've only had one. Okay. So, um, but, you know, whereas other clubs probably have to, through past players functions or past players groups that's how they organize their yeah. catch-up so we're lucky in a sense that we're forced to do it whereas i'm not sure you would do it if you weren't i'm in the giants pass players group there's yeah. about seven of us what about the blues no nothing in the blues nothing yet, yet. no nah, but there, there is a very strong um spirit of carlton yep. at, at carlton but obviously um goes without saying it's a it's a lot older demographic yeah um and it's a, of the glory days of carlton it's not yeah. it's not the latest which is yeah. sad because it, that's why you do play footy and Correct. those friendships and and whatnot um those flags you know the three Pete we spoke about um with with Clarko when he came in he said a, a really pivotal moment in I suppose Hawthorne's culture and the success of finals footy was in 2012 I think against the Swans when he talks about Sam Mitchell yep and yep. his words not mine played somewhat of a quite a selfish game yep and the next year after that, you know, they had some big words about that. And I'm not sure if it was publicly in the team or, or how it worked. But the next year after that against the Fremantle, yep. it pretty much, he played a very selfless game, had maybe 15 kicks. Paper said he was shit house. Yep. But it really transpired and, and made the team. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't just Mitch. Like Mitch, because of who he is and his status, that's the one that gets brought up. But. I remember then the review of 2012 sitting there and watching every goal behind the goals and then they rewind it and so you're sitting there you're just slumped in your seat really because you, you know your name's going to come up you know that you're the one that's cost the team goals here or there I played a crap one I only kicked three points in 12 I was no good um, and so you, you've kind of once you lose one as well it's like I don't want to ever have that feeling mm. again ever you know so you understand you have to sacrifice more for the team obviously that at that camp where sticks loud and spoke about us stepping up as well that was almost the catalyst we you don't wish you have to go through a losing grand final to change but for us to get better as a footy club that needed to happen now mitch was one that uh you know clarko said it and all the boys have said it he he tried i think he played one of his better grand finals out of the five where against that game in sydney but he throws the ball back to mcveigh costs us 50 they kick a goal um, and it looks like we're just kick chasing and trying to bump up our stats. So he's one that, you know, at the time would have been livid, but three years after that, he's played unreal. And yes, he might not have got a Norm Smith, but he's played bloody well in three grand finals as well. Yeah, it's massive. And like you said, look where it sort of got him now. Yeah. If he had had one flag, his ears held in the same yeah. regard. Yeah. With the. Something that, you know, I've never really... I played in under-15s grand final. It's still one of my highlights. But I think a big thing for me is... I don't really watch a lot of footy anymore, but I always watch finals. Yeah. Because it's a different game. And I think the nuances in, in games are my favourite part. Yeah. Where I suppose when you've been in the four walls of a club and you know there's big games... Like in every grand final or every final, there's big moments that you go... That the external might not know about. It might not even be on screen. It might be a role played or, or something that happens where you go, fuck, that was that saved us does anything stand out to you in in those three grand finals that oh, they're, they're all different yeah really um you said we weren't out of the five grand finals we weren't favorite for four and it's the four that we've won so you know the geelong one was obvious but freo had this amazing pressure side that supposedly we were gonna um you know just 
make us jump in that grand final. Sydney were the team to beat and West Coast had beaten us three years, three weeks before the grand final. So going into them, it was like we were quietly confident because, um, you know, we'd, we'd been there before, we'd experienced it all. We knew what to do with all the new players that were experiencing grand final week. Um, the, the things you go past, the, you can't go past, is Cyril's, Cyril's first basically quarter and a half in 15. Um, Hodge's goals. Um, the game against Sydney, I think, is the best game we've ever played um, as a team. Just from start to finish, you look at it and it's just like everything that we could have prepared for worked and the way that the ball bounced that day was just everything was just in our favour. So I haven't really gone back and watched them. You watch them with the recalls and whatnot when you have to do it, but um, I'm pretty good with memory of um, what happened within game, so I don't have to watch it too much. But I'm just, yeah, you just look forward to the catching up now because now that you're gone, you don't have that day-to-day feel of what mm. it's like in the locker room. You don't have the banter in the the spa or the steam room or even just little things like road trips with the boys and when you go into state and you bond that little bit more or after a win into state and you're playing stupid songs in the change rooms and all belting it out at the top of your lungs like stuff like that that you go back now it's just like you take it for granted because you know footies i was like now 15 years but if you get to 100 it's 15 percent of your life oh it's yeah i think seeing careers like a lot of the hawthorne guys like yourself has sort of I think made it look a lot easier than it is for a lot of people. Like you go through and play X amount of games and win four flags. It just doesn't happen. No. It's not something that happens, no. uh, you know, once in a, in a generation really. Um, so it's a, yeah, so it is honestly a credit to yourself and, and the team um, that, that have, you know, done it. Mm. But one thing I would think about with the grand final as well and love, you know, honored to sit here and talk to you about this is, how do you prepare like going into that because I, I, I think about it now talking about it gets me anxious <laughs> like I'm feeling sick yeah. like, with, with anxiety thinking about that like how nervous I would be that nervous energy did it, did it get easier doing it or did yeah. you it did it, oh yeah it, because the, the, the one thing that Dewey said is and Clark both because he was a part of it is grand final week's totally different to any other week you know the, the commitments um, the parade training everything like this like Waverley best of times you might have 10 people watching training mm. grand final week you got 10,000 people mm. bussing in from all the bus stops um, the parade on the Friday you know just things that you and so you can shut it off and not enjoy it but then if you never get a chance to be back there again you can't say well I've experienced grand final week so every every grand final week it's like just soak it in just take it all in because who knows if you're ever going to get back here again Clark I would never we're never allowed to wear sunnies in the parade or any time we're on stage so like little things that oh, they're wearing sunnies, we're going to beat them. Like little things That's like that sick. that you'd think. Is it the long sleeve factor uh, as yeah, well a little bit? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of stuff, like you'd think, oh, yeah, we've got them. I they're, love those I love those hidden like messages that yeah. he does. And I've got one that I've always wanted to actually would be worth asking you about is like there's the shorts thing that he did in the snow yep. to like send a message. It's yep. not cold. Sunnies is one that we've picked up today. Yeah. And the no long sleeves and jumpers. There was one that Bolts did once. And I, I really like this. Didn't work, but it was great. Actually, I think it might have worked. I can't remember. Right. But I remember one day we rocked up to, um, we're in Gold Coast and yep. we're about to play Gold Coast over there. And every assistant coach walked up and they were in a suit. And I was like, what the hell? Like, this is so weird. Like, why are you guys in suits? And everyone, like, no one knew what was going on. He goes, why do you think we're in suits? He's like, this is a business trip. Business trip. trip. And I was like, fuck, that's so smart. You know, I'm playing table tennis like the whole time thinking I'm <laughs> yeah. on holiday in yeah. Gold Coast, like, yeah. having, you know, day off, play golf, go for a swim, go to the beach. And he's like, this is a fucking business trip. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, you remember the one where he took the phones off us in Sydney as well? No. So we got the Intercontinental in Sydney. And he, right, meeting room. Yep. Everyone, phones in. You get them back after we win. So we were in Sydney for the night, the next day. You had 10 minutes to ring your partner or your wife and say <laughs> phones are going in. We get them back after the game. So, because shut it out, we're here to do a job, then we'll go home. So, where oh, you can imagine the yeah. boys, yeah. So, oh. phones are off, hand them in. So, blokes are probably trying to ring their partners and wives through the, the hotel room, yeah. Phone, but that was another one. He, the one, he, he, there was one where he, he we're playing in Sydney again, it was out at ANZ, and he, he walks in like a um, guard at Buckingham Palace, like whole kit, the black hat, the red, red jacket. And he's like, what's the go here? And we're trying to work it out. Like, we've got... Like, blokes are probably trying to take pictures of him and whatnot. 
It was the first game that he'd coached without Hodge, Mitchell, Sewell. So changing the guard. So this is your chance now. This is your team. Love that. Go, like little things like he wasn't afraid to try and um, motivate us in different ways. And little things like that where, yeah, he takes a piss out of himself, but it gets a message across because we still remember it. Versus yeah. it's like, you know, everyone remembers Hodge's shit speeches for games. But as a captain, you think, oh, I've nailed that one. And no one will remember it. But if you stuff up or say something wrong, that's the first thing they'll remind you about when you catch up for a bit. It's fascinating. And I think even just on the bolts factor as well, like I've got so much respect for him. I know you would have had him there. He yeah. he was, I've said this a lot, but him in a different club, I think with players that actually embrace that sort of thing yeah. would have been unbelievable. Because it, 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 a lot of the things that get spoken about Clarko, and I hope he gets another crack at it because he will make the most of it again. Yeah. And I think he'll change a lot. Yeah, well, I, I missed him. He came back the year after I left, so mm. he's been. I think he's. This is his second year. But when he was our line coach in fifteen, unreal. Mm. Um, when he was Box Hill coach, unreal. So you've had him as a senior coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, it didn't pan out for him the way he would have mm. wanted. But I still think, yeah, he's obviously got a lot to offer. Um, we spoke about before with the the um, way of staying at Hawthorne. You might have to take um, financial cuts to stay together and have success after the end of winning those flags yeah. was it ever in your mind to to leave the hawks or no. get get taken anywhere else was there any no. big offers that came no there, there was like one at the end of 2010 but i just agreed to a deal and and manager came in and said oh this mob's keen would you be and i was like oh they said they'll double it and i was like oh two mil that's a lot oh yeah because <laughs> we were on that were we because we were on that um and i was like nah like I, i'd had to move into state um you know, yeah, away from family and friends. I just started dating Sarah. So it was like, no, nah, I don't need to go anywhere. And I was pretty, you know, set in Hawthorne. So it was, it was more towards the end when he started, when Clarko started offering, you know, it was always a park or explore chat where if you, he'd say, do, do you want to go elsewhere? Do you want to, you know, like what he did with Jordan, Mitch and, yep. and Hodgie. Um, and I got the same chat and he said, do you want to go to St Kilda? Do you want to go to the Gold Coast? Um, have some time to think about it. And it's like, send us a text. It's like, park it and that we won't talk about it again or explore. And it's like, yeah, we'll explore the change. So um, I was 32. I'd come back from everything and, and, you know, I had what I thought was one or two years left of footy. So to go somewhere else and try and start over again would have been quite tough, I think. Do you think it was at that time as well? Because for the AFL world to see players like Sam Mitchell yeah. leave, Hodge, Jordan Lewis do these things, like yep. that was such a big shock, I think, yeah. to everyone. Like, it was a massive game changer. How was that? internally received like did you think what the fuck yep or? yep we had to we we got together um at a bar with um the gm ceo like players and we basically just asked the questions what's going on why why are we doing this you know uh, we don't need to do this can we go for one this was so that was the end of 16 so i didn't play all of 16 um they were a kick out of the prelim fizzy kicks that goal they're going through to a prelim so it's like why are we all of a sudden breaking it up and looking back on it now you can understand why because we were old and whatnot but when you've got such decorated players you know why would you want them to retire elsewhere like they haven't had their i was lucky enough to get a great farewell but we didn't get to thank those guys on field mm. like the last time that they played for Hawthorne, they've all uh bar hodgy they lost so it's not a nice way to finish i don't think mm. um i don't think you'll see it happen with the richmond boys like Koch and rewalt these guys aren't going to go and play for someone else. Yeah, it's just I like the fact that if you've been so successful, why go elsewhere? I like it. I, I, I definitely, if I was in that shoe, I think being a one-come player for me personally would be special, um, as I know it is for you. But I also think, in a way, it shows that the the club was bigger than anyone. Yeah, and I think that's one thing I did like about it. Just being like, you know what? How good are these fucking players? Being at the end of the day. It's well, it's a business. It's, it's a business. Yeah. yeah. So George gets three years versus one. Mm. Mitch gets a four-year deal. One as a player, three as a coach. The wins a flag. Hodgie gets two more years at Brisbane. You're not going to get that type of money just out there day-to-day life. So you can understand if they want to look after their future. And I've got no issues with that. But selfishly, I would have loved them to all Stay. finish. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice getting all chaired off together. <laughs> it's beautiful. I have that photo hanging. Um, <laughs> with, with Sam Mitchell. Um, 
obviously went to West Coast, did some incredible things. Yep. They say they wouldn't have won the flag without him. Yeah. Um, I know how highly regarded he is as a coach. Obviously, the succession plan with with um, Hawthorne's taking place now. Mm-hmm. As a pass player there, being a, obviously good friend of Clark and a good friend of Mitch, how do you see that transpiring with everything that's, that's happening at the moment? Yeah, uh, look, I'm uh, excited for Mitch. Um, I think we've all got to celebrate what's happened with Clarko first. Um, not many coaches spend 18 years at one club, do what he's done, change the game entirely. Um, so hopefully next year's a celebration for him. Uh, I'd like to hope that he finishes out the contract um, you know there's going to be so much speculation that's going to be the news story of the basically the next 18 months is what's going to happen there um, but Mitch is always from the moment you walk in the door he's just set on being a coach I reckon yeah. he's, he's got his philosophy he's got his way he's doing great things at Box Hill at the moment um, so I'm looking forward to seeing some change I think it's good for the footy club who knows what happens with Clarko but you know it's probably time Um I'm more looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. It's going to be very exciting. Um, and, and as you said, Clarko, probably the best coach of yep. ever, of yep. all time, really. Um, and to think that he would see out the year, like obviously as a Hawthorne supporter, you'd hope that. But like, I think it's funny how in the media we're talking about at the moment that like it's out of Carlton, Collingwood yeah. or Gold Coast. I'm telling you, I reckon there's probably more teams than not that have their hat in the ring for this gig rather than just three other clubs. Yeah. And look... <sighs> Would it be great for him to have a year off and freshen up? I think so too. Mm. Because then he might come back as a better coach because he's not going to go 22 years or 25 years straight. He's going to have a year off in the middle and then could be great for another five, six years. He's only 52, 53 years old. So Fags is 60, 61 at the moment. I think for Clarko, if he had a year off and relaxed, might be great for him. I think so. It's pretty, as we said before, with footy careers, how hard they are to yeah. even get through You know, eight years. I was pretty burned out after that, let alone 22. <laughs> Um, can't say that but yeah whatever it is watch this space it's yeah. going to be incredible yeah. I just think the one thing that will be pretty crazy and I don't think it will be the same as what what uh, happened with Collingwood and, and Buckley not in terms of relationship but just in terms of the the pressure yeah. is that Hawks are at that stage where they're building yeah, and they're going to be you know I reckon next year they're going to be a seriously impressive unit they've got three players they've got John Patton Tom Scully and Burgoyne potentially to fill contracts so they've got a bit of money to play with of getting players which you know, your eyes would light up being a, a to-be list manager. And they've got Will Day will come back after yep. injury for a year. Um, and and Sicily as well. Yep. And Gunston. Gunston. Yep. So it's going to be pretty exciting. I think it'll be quite a quick one um, for them to rebuild out. So exciting times down at Hawthorne. Right, winning four flags. Um, a good part about that is getting to enjoy yourself and let your hair down at the end of the season. You must have done some pretty cool things. Now, is it, am I right to say that every grand final party was actually at your house yes. posted yeah wow no and well it, so i'm in hawthorne east near the g-bunk yes um and the footy ground hawthorne sits behind there which is on victoria road is where we all met at about lunchtime to go to glen ferry road so i'm walking distance yeah so it made life easy so when you were talking about before about prepare preparing for grand final week and whatnot knowing the boys were coming around at sunday morning straight <laughs> after a granny I, I you don't buy cans Saturday night after the granny or Sunday morning. So I had to prepare during the week knowing that these boys were coming around. So you're getting ready for a grand final also buying 20 slabs no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first... It it did happen in 08, but 2012 when we lost, that's when it started to happen. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, oh, we'll just keep rolling this out. So by the fourth year, I'd only been in the street four four years and we'd paid in four grannies. But by the fourth one, we had kids doing barbecues with sausages and little drinks of Barocca for the boys before they got because I'm at the top of the street so some of these guys are walking up the street hung get a Barocca get a snag walk in and it's just like let's go again so and you don't get a chance to just spend you know a couple of hours with the 22 so to be able to just chill in the backyard all talk a bit of crap have a few cans yeah they're the, they're the photos and whatnot you look at and go like this is pretty cool yeah, yeah I could only imagine how sick that would be like some unbelievable flicks that would be getting around yeah. I'm sure they're privately stashed um <laughs> is it true as well speaking to um your good brother by the way he's given me this one who's a great yeah. man absolute superstar so that post grand finals there'd often be someone who would come up and give a read out of the paper oh. the next day so like assuming that would they be actually reading it like in the paper after grand finals often the play ratings are given yep. so someone from the team would get up and read those out amongst the group yeah or with yeah the paper would come and normally the youngest which was hilly a lot of the time would 
buy McDonald's too. So he'd rock up with four bags of Maccas, spend a hundred bucks, and yeah, it was just you're just reminiscing and looking at what you've done because you really don't have time to reflect within no. the first. That's why I reckon the day grand final is so good because if you've got a night yeah. grand final, night grand final sucks. Oh, I just. I understand it for the spectacle, but as players, I feel like day is the best. Well, even watching it, it's just not. I, I really, I, I think they've confirmed they're not doing that again. But it, it was, in, it was terrible to watch. Yeah, even like you can't stay sober that long on the following day. Who were some of the best blokes to read out the reviews? Uh, Strato, uh, Joffa Simkin, who uh, he played in the first one as the sub. He was, he was great. Uh, but there was a lot of people because Channel 9 would be there too we had to kind of behave okay. because we'd do the cross out the front Fair so um, Hodgie would have to be in a state to speak I would too <laughs> um, but if you have a look back on Summer Vision I think Strato's in a wetsuit riding a bike um, Bud's hanging out the window <laughs> so you look back and it's just like yeah, the boys have won a flag and just let them enjoy themselves. Yeah, it's fair enough. You can do whatever you want. Off-season trips, though, um, very busy. You're a big basketball, as we said earlier. Yep. Mates with um, Joe Ingalls and Paddy Mills. So you'd often get over the States in the off-season? Yep. Yeah. Enjoy yourself? I always wanted to do Oktoberfest, mm. but that uh, I think I was always <laughs> that was later. So that players <laughs> have the other problem. Yeah. yeah. So we never – I got there eventually when I was 30. Um, but I never. I always wanted to go to Europe and watch the soccer and do that. But yeah, a lot of the time it was America. Um, get away. Like where those two boys play in, in San Antonio and Utah, there's no real Aussie flavour. Like you go to New York or LA or um, Austin, where or, you know the Austin city limits and whatnot. On you see a lot of Aussies where you could go to these places and really no one knows you. So, awesome. um, and of course you get to watch basketball and get a bit of an insight into you know what it's like as a proper pro over there. Um, yeah, it was awesome. The one story I've been told a couple of times from from the boys is is I don't know if this is true. It's unbelievable. Is it right to say that you were flown over in a private jet? No. Okay. <laughs> no, we've been very lucky that um, through a great Hawthorne fan at the footy club, Stuart Giles, who's a he's Brisbane based. Um, he yeah he runs like a little golf tournament over in yes. South Carolina. So we get our way to um, America. And then, um, yeah, Jolsey looks after us, and and we've you know been lucky enough to be on a private plane and so and place. True. Well, it's true. It in America, we've okay, been, yeah, yeah. So and you, well, there's more to this story, right? You've been dropped in the middle of New York, and they've closed the Dior store for your, oh, for, yeah, for him. Yeah. For you. For, no, not for me. <laughs> not for me. I heard it was you personally. There's no way they're going to just drop So they've closed the... So Dior- Jared Ruffhead's going to go from Melbourne to New York and <laughs> yeah. they're going to say, oh, right, come in, mate. We're going to shut the whole store for you. So they've closed the store for him, but you guys have gone in. Correct. What was that like? Oh. Did this you is, get this anything? Is, I bought Sarah a card holder, I think. <laughs> <laughs> they've closed the store and you've just gone and bought a card holder. Well, uh, mate, they serve some nice champagne and some tequila and whatnot, but yeah, like... These are some of the experiences that you just a kid from Lane Gathers never really supposed to do this. So yeah, very very grateful and, and lucky that we we're able to do something like oh, that. Is there any other pinch yourself moments where you look back and whether it was an off season trip or just sitting there going, "Fuck, how yeah. did I get here?" All the time, all the time. We, like when we did our um, what would you call it fact finding mission about trying to go and look at all the facilities in the world. Um, we flew with the CEO and board member at the time Gunners Liam Shields and I to London went through Aston Villa Arsenal and St George's Park which is England's um, training facility from there we flew to America went through the Baltimore Ravens and New York Jets um, and was able to throw in some sport we were at Wayne Rooney's 100th cap at Wembley went to a couple of basketball games and then I was actually at the game where Odell Beckham catches that one for the Giants against the Cowboys um, at MetLife so that was all in one trip. So, you're, you're, like, again, you're a country boy. You're at MetLife Stadium watching Odell Beckham make arguably the greatest catch in NFL history. That's not supposed to happen. It's unbelievable. Very special. Yeah. I can't imagine that. You've done some cool cool things, my friend. Plenty of chapters that have happened. Plenty more to come. Yeah. Um, moving on to a, a, obviously a quite a serious chapter, but your battle with, with skin cancer. Yeah. Um, it's, I suppose, publicly, like even when I was playing this stage it was it was big like it was it was really big um are you happy to sort of talk about that and yeah. the, the journey you've been I'm on fine. with with yeah. it all and, and how it sort of um took yeah. place and what what is the the earliest memory you have of 
Oh, I, <laughs> I can. I know all the moments. Yeah, yeah. Like from we played Essendon on a Sunday um, at the G. We won, played pretty well. The Friday, I'd had this um, blister on my lip. Just was there for a while. Looking back, it was there far too long. But I finally went and said, "Look, this is keeps knocking." Um, when I keep drying myself in the shower, um, bleeds a little bit, and they said, "Oh, I'll just go get a." So I had a punch biopsy done Friday before we played Essendon. Monday got the call. Yep. Oh, we think it's a C. We think it's a nothing to worry about. You know, yada yada. yada. Monday melanoma. Um, you're getting it cut out, and I was thinking, right? We, we play Collingwood on Friday night. I'll miss that. Have it cut out. I'll be back playing in a week. And our doc, who's been um, my doctor or our doctor since I was part of the AIS All Australian team in '04, Michael McDesey, he said, "No, nah, you're in tomorrow." And I was like, "What do you mean? It's like it's not that bad." And I remember they had to. They said the plastic surgeon who did it. Who, funnily enough, this is I had one cut out on Monday. Not nothing bad, but every spot now that he see, he sees, he's just like, "I'll just take it out." So. Um, he said, you're going to have a quarter of your bottom lip cut out. So, they ha- And because normal ones you see on your back and legs, they spread. This one grew like a carrot, so it grew down. So that's why they had to cut like a V out of your lip, I guess. Um, and I remember going into surgery. I remember him standing in the corner and it's like, oh, you're just looking at the scans and whatnot to prepare. He's like, no, no, I'm just doing a playlist <laughs> for the surgery. And I was like, you're either that confident and comfortable that you know what you're doing. And I'm thinking, mate. You're about to chop my face. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Get so, um, and I was like, do you need me to shave? Nah, I'll line your beard all up. No worries. So, Arnold, um, who's the plastic surgeon who did it, you know, great. Still see him all the time. You know, these guys are, are yes, doctors and patients, but they're now friends. So, um, I come out of surgery. I missed two weeks of footy and you think it's done. I'd, I'd been through, seen doctors, um, whether it be, do I need radiology? Do I need chemo? we'd had all the scans nah, nothing you're all good so um, miss the two weeks play um, lucky enough this is all the back half of 15 so play the grand final everything's good to go um, <clears throat> live live life normal have a follow up scan nothing so it's like right two in a row that's good um, get married in January uh, then I get told PCL in my knee so I'm out for 12 to 16 weeks no worries Um running i'm close to coming back to play which is about may and i have my third follow-up scan and i go in and what you do with pet scans you have a um you fast you go in you have a glucose um, put in your body you rest for an hour and a half and what happens is the glucose attracts itself to any tumors if they're in your body it also now can tell if you've got injuries and whatnot as well so it'll go to like a crack in your back or if you've got a hammy or something like that but i remember and i used to have a week in between um scan and results which now I couldn't do because you've got a week of thinking time. Mm. Whereas at the time it's like, yep, I had my scan, go in on the Monday, walk in and Grant, my just says, how are you feeling? I said, yep, good, knee's good, hopefully playing in a couple of weeks. Um, and he goes, oh, we're in a bit of trouble. And I was like, all right, where where is it? If I got a freckle that's just a bit angry um, and he pulls up your scan, he goes, no, you've got um, four little tumours about the size of your thumbnail on your lungs. So two each side. And I was like, right, what, what does it mean? What do we do from here? And you, you have all these thoughts go through your head. And I'm thinking, we're doing a renovation at home. I'm living in four bedrooms or four rooms basically in the house. So I'm like, and I'm not to know what's going to come of it in terms of how crook I was going to get and stuff like this. But the moment, and I'm with Doc McDesey and he goes, what do you want to do? This is a Monday night at about four o'clock. I said, I'm, I'm driving straight to the footy club. I've got no idea what I'm going to do because that's the safest place for me, bar home. So I jump on, the f- jump on a punt road, ring Geordie he's on the way home from the review I say mate can you turn around and come back and he's like what's the matter and I said um, you just got to come back please and then I just broke down there I remember driving all the way to Waverley sitting there and then I saw Clarko Jack Fags, Doc and we just I just cried for like an hour, half an hour because you're just scared you don't know what's going to happen then George's like alright well you have we're going to have to go home now and I'm like yep yeah. so I'm and Sarah's going, where are you? What are you doing? Mm. And I'm like, I'll be home soon, don't worry. Like, and because I can't tell her over a text message, I can't call her. And then I'm like, I walk in, and Jordan um, rung Sarah's sister, got my brother around because we were going to tell them. And then you walk in, and, and she's like, where have you been? What's been going on? And then you sit down and tell her, and you know, tears and whatnot. So 
yeah, I can I know it quite well. Um, and then from then it's like, right, what what's a plan of attack? So, um, Grant had said, there's a trial that's going really well at the moment. Um, it's not on the PBS, um, so it's it's quite hexy, um, but it's doing wonderful things. So um, through some amazing people, Jeff Harris, the Footy Club, who managed to get some money to pay for this, and I always used to ring them up because it'd take so long for me getting to the hospital to, um, <clears throat> for me getting to the hospital and then sitting there waiting but they had to wait until they saw me in the building until they started making this drug because because it cost so much at the time they couldn't let it go to waste so um i'd had a biopsy where they went in and got one um and just to 100 percent make sure it was melanoma um and then we started treatment that is unbelievable um yeah mate thanks so much for sharing that Fuck, i was yeah seriously 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 incredible story um an incredible journey that you've been on with that mm. I, i'm i'm amazed i've probably got 50 million questions on that but yeah. one one is how hard is this and even if you can go to is the hardest part of it telling your family and friends yeah yeah oh yeah uh, I, so cried ringing george cried ringing sarah rang mum and dad got upset and then the next next day because Clarko knew so I, I rocked up for training and, and the boys like you train I said oh no, nah, I've got some other things going on and then he I had to watch him train and then wait until after training to tell him and I remember you know you don't walk in I walked in with a towel on my shoulders because I knew what was going to happen mm. straight away um, and so telling them yeah was the hardest thing you know you do as a footy player really because it's not like you're retiring this is different to retiring so um, yeah that's they're, they're the th- they're the I suppose at times that you remember most because they're when you're at your rawest and most open, I guess, but you need to go through that too. How painful was the process with the with the, the, the clinical trial drug? Yeah. Like? No, it was, so I guess you're a guinea pig for it as well because when I went in, there was me and a guy who was, I think, 70, mid-70s that were on this combination drug. Everyone was talking about Keytruda, which is um, the late um, Ron Walker had um, fought so hard to get in Australia this one was a combination of two different drugs. So I remember the first time um, I went in, um, had it done, no worries, it was over like three or four hours of first um, treatment. And then I was lucky enough to go away in that break. Um, Cam and I got to go to the NBA finals in 16. So I had a three week gap in between each one. And so I got first one, no worries. There's only four treatments that you're supposed to have with this. Second one, I remember having it. And then the next day I was knocked on my ass. Like, sweating in bed um no energy nothing like i couldn't like uh, up until then i was still kind of training with the boys and just that was my outlet really it got to the stage where after the third one it took three weeks to recover in between second and third and i thought right i've got this and then the third one no no good again so what happened was my body was basically full of the drug and it had started turn on other parts of my body so Mm -hmm. i had four different side effects whether it be my eyes were inflamed, lungs were inflamed, liver wasn't working and my feet, um, it started to eat the nerves in my feet. So I kind of said, look, I can deal with the others, but if I ever get back to playing footy, I kind of need my feet. So can we help us out? And that's when they stopped it and I had to go on a steroid for a little bit to try and balance me out. Mm. Um, and then we attacked the side effects with some other drugs and by the end of... So this was between May and December, that all happened. And then December... They said, "Yep, you're you're in the clear. Like you don't have to do any more drugs. You don't have to. It had worked so well. You'd had a complete response. And basically, from December 16 through to now, I've had scans every three, four, six months. Unbelievable, mate. It's 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 unbelievable. You credit to yourself. And I can only imagine the the impact. I think in in footy and in life, all you want to do is have impact on other people. Yeah. And doing what you've done in footy, you know, winning four flags, making people's lives and supporters. But I think the cancer journey and the hope you would have given so many other people going through this would probably be nearly more rewarding in a way like yeah um, (laughs) it's rewarding but in the same way you don't wish you had to go through it yeah Um, you know I've told the story you go through the wards at um, Peter Mac and people would give you a cuddle or because I was the youngest I was the second youngest by a long way like I was 29 and there's you see a lot of people that are you know 40, 50, 60, 70 and then I remember another young kid that was in there just maybe 20 years old and you'd, you'd have chats with patients and doctors and nurses and whatnot and because you are in the public spotlight you kind of 
you don't have a choice to just do it in private um you at the end of the day you're you're a patient now you're not a footy player there so um they were quite everyone was quite respectful but at the same time you were i suppose a little bit you had a bit of self-doubt because you didn't want to be that person that had cancer but at the same time yeah yeah for the amount of things that you've done now with it and um people you've spoken to and stuff like that yeah you mean you happily will help anyone else really I, i didn't know you before this but i think something that could be prevalent in the story is how much has going through the, the the illness and also the birth of your two kids changed perspective for oh. you like in, <laughs> in life like, heaps yeah i you all you knew was footy 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 growing up leave home at 17 at the time you play 12 13 years of footy and it's like yep this is just what life or this is what you thought it was going to be and then you go through something like that and it's like when doc said you're in the clear I expect you to live to be a granddad. It's like, I hadn't even had kids yet. And when he says that, it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. So then having Pippa and then having Will, you know, two and a half years later, um, you understand that they're not going to, like Will doesn't know that I played footy and he's mm. not going to know for a long time. Pippa was in a photo on my last game, but she's got no idea that dad was all right at footy. So um, to them, you're just dad. And when you get home from work or footy, they don't care yeah, if you've had a good or a shit stop. day. Yeah. yeah. So... You know that takes a bit of getting used to as well because as a as a athlete you're selfish and you've got to be. But I wouldn't have it any other way now. Yeah, it's unbelievable, mate. It's uh, it is huge, and I know you're a big big family man, and um, you got to shoot off after this to go look after the kids. Um, <laughs> People always say it's like are you babysitting. It's like well, it's not really. It's they're your kids. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> just looking after my own family. <laughs> yeah, it's what you fathers do. Yeah, I suppose it's weirdly. Um, what's next for you, mate? Um, everything you've achieved um, it's been incredible I can't see you taking the foot off the pedal um, is there anything else you want to tick off or you're loving your work at the moment just want to further yourself in that field yeah I, you're basically an apprentice now when it comes to footy admin life so mm. learning as best as I can there um, I do have a passion for list management whether yeah. you know what happens with salary caps and whatnot. this next couple of years you've probably got to get your head around but you know, you're probably still four or five years off that. Just you've got to learn everything about the business side and relationships and whatnot. But I don't think I I don't I don't know anything other than footy. I tried to do a landscape gardening apprenticeship when I was playing, um, and I finished it. But I don't think I'll be digging up holes and no, you know, big wet rocks in winter and whatnot. No. So yeah, I uh, I think now that you're finished, it's just it's exciting for what's next because I'm only 34. Um, so you're not putting a ceiling on anything or saying, right, I only have to work to 50. It'd be nice, but yeah, who knows what's next. With with the list management stuff, and I know that's an incredible role. It, from my perspective, and it'd be interesting if you've had the same one, but it is such a tough role yeah. for relationships with the players that you alluded to because 10 of the players on your list are your best mate because you're paying them good cash. But the other 30 yeah. are either under, not underpaid, but they either think they're worth more and then the 10 don't even know if they're getting a deal. Yep. That... Have you thought about that? Like, is that something that's yeah. really tough? Like, I remember Stephen having a chat with Stephen Savani about it when I finished at Carlton. Yeah. And we had this sort of embrace and he's like, you know, I can't be a best mate when I'm, look, potentially going to take it away. It's yeah. such an awkward position sometimes. Well, you're, you're almost judge, jury and executioner. So, I think if you're honest from the start and you're not, because it's different, players are always going to be players. Managers are the ones that, are basically the ones that you're fighting against. They want what's what's best for the player, and you understand that. But you're trying, you're representing the club. So, because I've been as a player, and you know you've been through negotiations, you've got an understanding of what has to happen there. But on the club side of things too, you want what's best for footy club. So you can't stuff up a salary cap for one player. But I think as long as you're honest in this and you're not lying and trying to win everything, mm. I think that's all you can do really. Because at the end of the day, players will understand that. Yep. Not everyone gets 15 years in 250 games. So I think the average life is four years in a AFL player now. Mm. So by the time you come out, you can be bitter and twisted and angry or you can be like, right, I've had a great opportunity but it just didn't work out. What's next for me? You know, Because a lot of your mates, if you get the four years, have done a uni degree, have done a trade and so you're out on your ass at, at 22. What are you going to do? Mm. You can't just expect that you're going to live that life again. So... I think, yeah, the relationships is key, as you said, but being honest with them as well because you don't want to lie and, and treat that. Because at the end of the day, there's some kids, you know, son, yeah, you know. 100%. Yeah. It's a livelihood. Last question on that, mate, is looking at a list build now yeah. and a structure. 
what do you go for first? If you're building a list from scratch now, ideally for you, and it's worked pretty well from you know getting you into Hawthorne with the boys, but how would you build a list like from scratch? What do you think is the most important to do? Is it to build the spine? Is it yeah, to get a good leader? I think, is I it- think spines are key early. If you can get a good spine, you can add pieces around it. If you get a couple of and key forwards, don't come around often. Do they, they don't. They don't at all. <laughs> you look at the Blues now. The if, if Charlie Kerno was fit, having McKay and Kerno together yeah. would be – people People would just pay to rock up to see those two. There's a bit of Buddy and uh, Ruffy about that. You can say that. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Are you happy with that? I was, I was thinking maybe that was an offence. No, it doesn't yeah. like me. Yeah. But they've still got to do it. They've still got to win four. There you go. They've got to win four flags. <laughs> so I think, you know, if you can get two key forwards, you can add smalls. Midfielders, yeah, uh, the, the midfielders change. Like Paddy Cripps is taller than me. Yeah. So it's completely changed to what it used to be back in the day. But I think when you, if you can get some key tools, or whether it be backs or forwards, um, you can build around them for sure. And just on this, I know I've said last question 10 yep. times, but the players at the moment, I've been, you know, looking at, not the list manager, but you look at players for a long time, there's been like a bit of a starvation of key forwards. Yep. Like since, you know, you guys and that big powerful crop of coming through yeah now you've got guys like uh obviously max and ben king um riley phil thorpe yep i still can't really say that very well um jamara yugo hagen aaron norton um and obviously harry mckay charlie kerner these guys yeah without picking um max i'm sorry i got that right who (laughs) who would you pick no charlie's charlie it was amazing to watch yeah and uh, we're all Rob because of what's happened with his knees the last couple of years but he can run like Ed but he can sit on your head he can kick goals I didn't mean that that's a good run yeah (laughs) you can use it but (laughs) he (laughs) honestly like he was that night he kicked five against the Tigers in round one a couple of years ago it was like this kid is going to set the world on fire so you kind of yeah you're you're angry that his knee has flared up but hopefully he can get back but seeing Harry as I said, if those two get on a roll, it's like Danaher and Hipwood and these guys up in Brisbane, like Joey, uh, Joshy Kennedy and Darling over West. Like there is enough out there, but mm. if you can get two, God, they're good to watch. It is, and do you know what's sort of crazy? Going back to the thing before, is the the draft. Not that I'm comparing these players, but you've got Harry Mackay. So Charlie Kerner, Harry Mackay picked up yeah. and Weedering yeah. in one, but it sort of was that three pick that was Bolts coming in. He wanted that type yeah. of thing going forward, um, which is a credit to Hawthorne's success on it. But mate. Cannot thank you enough for coming in today. Um, absolutely honoured and, and to call your friend. Yep. Thank you. Uh, now, friend of the show. And uh, yeah, can't thank you enough, mate. Best of luck for the future going forward. Um, yeah, it's truly an honour to have you in for a chat. So no. thank you so much. Thank you, Dil. I mean, 100 plus episodes, you're doing some good things too, mate. So well done. Oh, well, yeah, thanks. No worries. <laughs> thanks, mate. If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. An exclusive loyalty subscription featuring the debrief podcast of each episode and bonus Q&As from Patreon members like this. Do you know who we actually have played against each other? At the G. The, the one that I'm alluding to is at Etihad Stadium or Marvel Stadium. You beat us for 157 points. Do you remember that game? Yeah, I did my PCL that night. You did your PCL? That was yeah. Sam Doherty coming through? Yeah. Do you know that I could have killed you because I didn't want to go... <laughs> I didn't want to go back with the flight because I remember Doc just coming out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I was like, we're down by 100. Yeah. Settle down, Doc. Like, relax. I walked off. Like a, you walked off. If we, if we look at the vision of that, I pull up really short. <laughs> I was just like, oh, you go. Trains come and get you off the tracks. Go, you go. <laughs> and there's plenty more where that came from. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you like the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, leave a review or even share with your friends. The show is produced by myself and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Films is responsible for audio and visual production. The show is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.